0: happy sabbath friends i am so grateful that you chose to join us this morning we have we have so appreciated hearing your comments your feedbacks your questions so please please keep them coming Uh, As if you've been joining us before, you know that we've been journeying through the book of Genesis, and what a journey it's been through this family of God that starts with a literal family and eventually grows into a nation and then encompasses the entire world. But these beginning stories form the basis of of our interactions and our relationships with God, and so they've been pretty exciting. And today, we enter the last section of the book of Genesis um, and studying probably the largest passages um, on the story of the final patriarch, Joseph. So we are excited to enter into this conversation with all of you. But before we begin, Pastor Miguel, could you offer prayer for us?
1: God, we are thankful that you have given us the capacity to think about dreams. And today, as we have a conversation about what our dreams for the future are we simply would pray that you stay with us that these dreams may be enveloped by your presence stay with our conversation and with our people and our friends our family at home for we pray in your name amen so today we continue joey a conversation on uh one of my favorite characters in the bible Uh, Joseph, and we start all the way back in chapter 37, as he is introduced to us, and we follow the story pretty much to the very lip of the Exodus account, and so uh, there's many things that uh, the lesson touches upon. The primary thread of the lesson is this idea of Joseph's dreams. Uh, what are some of your dreams? <laughs>
0: it's interesting because Joseph is one of my favorite characters too, because he was my namesake. I was mm-hmm. named, my grandmother picked my name, uh, Joseph, because of, and she was very clear, it wasn't Joseph, the father of Jesus. It was Joseph, um, the dreamer. And so <laughs> when I was when I was uh, younger, in my younger years, you remember when they had AOL, mm-hmm. Instant Messenger? My Instant Messenger handle was, his dreamer and the problem was everybody thought I was a girl because mm. they thought who is he dreaming oh who is this girl dreaming about and so I had to eventually change my AOL handle because it led to some confusion but yeah um, some dreams that I have I have dreams of um, traveling with my family to every continent you know mm. I have dreams of eventually finishing my doctorate I have dreams of, um, of uh, traveling with my wife uh, when our kids get older as well, and of um, teaching about leadership and um, helping to create a healthy paradigm for leadership within our um, our church. So, yeah,
1: some dreams that I have. Good How about dreams. you? Uh, my dreams are much simpler. I think um, I dream about... Dream about peace. Just a life that is defined by peace, Mm. by both that internal stillness that we are called as Christians to experience, but also just in the community that Mm. that we serve. I think we, uh, as we've just come out of general conference session this Mm. past week, I think it just reminds us of how the potential to be united and wow. to continue building towards the kingdom mm. is always present in every corner of the world, and the only thing that can dissuade us from that is uh, this idea of restlessness, mm. and so it's, it's this it's this notion of peace I think that, that I dream that I dream of well said, well said. Yeah. So what what do you think, Joey? Or some in in I think in Joseph's case, it's his own uh, tongue sometimes that gets him in trouble. <laughs> and there's some interesting motifs uh, that uh, we can we can experience and talk about as we as we converse about our lesson study for this week. But we all have dreams. I think that's the beauty of Joseph's experience that whether it's dreams of success, maybe dreams of Traveling with family and finishing academic pursuits, or maybe it's just dream, dreams that uh, are vague and ethereal, uh, such as peace. Mm. Uh, all of these dreams have certain obstacles. What, what are some obstacles that we find in fulfilling these dreams that, that, we, uh, that we pursue? Mm. Competing commitments, I
0: think, mm. is one of them. Um, as much as I want something, sometimes... I don't. I. I may not e- even explicitly think this, but I want other things more, mm-hmm. right? And often, it's those short-term wants that get in mm. in the way of long-term dreams, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um, when I could be working on uh, on my our paper, I instead want to just relax, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that want for relaxing and recovering, which is not a bad want, but that trumps my want mm. for my dream in the moment and though that sometimes that short-term want mm-hmm. gets in, in the way of that long-term mm. dream. Just so one
1: one thing that I can think of. Yeah. How, about, how about you? Well, I think that's that's a really good starting point for a conversation today this idea of competing commitments. Mm. The I think the only way that you can Decipher what commitments you're going to prioritize is you establish what you value, mm. and you you have a system of of values. And so I think, for me, one of one of the obstacles that aren't cle- that make this this idea of pursuing my dreams unachievable, is that I haven't thought clearly enough about what my core values are, mm. and so when my dreams aren't undergirded by a core value or a core Mm. commitment. Uh, These these dreams then sometimes just end up being that, being dreams. I think the the way in which you materialize Mm. these dreams is that you link them with a core commitment. And you find that a little bit in in Joseph's story, Mm. right? Joseph has... These two initial dreams, and these two initial dreams have to do, interestingly enough, right, Joey, with... Well, the first dream actually has to do with grain. And we know that grain is going to play a rather prominent role throughout the whole narrative. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But he has these two dreams that are pretty easy to interpret. I don't think you need to be an interpreter of dreams, to figure out what is going on. And so instead of maybe asking the question, well, what is my core commitment? Uh, Why is God giving me these visions? Joseph goes and uh, follows the path of simply sharing without thinking. (laughs) And that led that... Uh, leads them to a pit. And so I think it's important when we're talking about our dreams Hmm. to make sure that those dreams are in line with a core value, lest we Uh, falter.
0: That's so well said. I hadn't thought of it that way before that he, instead of taking, he didn't actually take the time to process why is God giving me this dream? He just kind of blurts it out to them it just makes me wonder what was going through his head, especially the second time, you know? The first time, okay, maybe he was naive. Maybe he didn't get that it would be offensive to people. But to share it the second time, Mm -hmm. when the first time went so badly, Mm -hmm. I mean, what is driving that behavior? Why is he... Why is he willing to disrupt his family when he already knows that this is going to be mm-hmm. a problem? Like people are not going to like hearing this very similar dream mm-hmm. where it's even more explicit because they're not just bowing down to the, the, the sheaves of wheat are not bowing down to his. It's the, the sun, moon, and stars are bowing down to him. Mm-hmm. So, so
1: what, what do you think made him say that? I think it's it's the impetuousness of of youth. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the first things. The other, I think, is how. And you talked a little bit about leadership mm. um, throughout this this whole this whole story, particularly the next five chapters so genesis 37 to 42 you're going to find that there are two motifs that keep appearing right Mm. you're going to find this idea of food food Mm. and tables and who sits at tables and who doesn't sit at tables and what happens when people are eating and the power that Mm. food gives you and not only eating and ingesting food but the control of food Mm. that's going to be a really important uh, motif that is going to appear. The other one has to do with how this power is leveraged. Mm. And so I think when you're older, you recognize that power for power's sake is not transformational. Mm. You can get people to do what you want to do, but you're not going to get them to buy in yeah. to what to the place that you're trying to take them. Mm. And so if Joseph had Joseph dreamt this dream. 10 years in the future, he probably goes about it a different way. But sometimes when we're impetuous, we don't understand that our positions of privilege and power Mm -hmm. are intended to be shared and to empower others. Um, And so I think Joseph knowing already, right, before he dreams the dream, that he is in a position of privilege. Mm -hmm. We know he's in a position of privilege because we have uh, this idea that his brothers, even before this first dream, already hates him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's really clear uh, here in verse uh, in verses nine, um be- right before he tells us this the story that you were pointing to. Uh, He's uh, the last piece of verse 8, and they hated him all the more speaking of his brothers because of his dream and what he had said. Mm. The reason why there's some initial animosity is we know the family dynamics Mm. in Jacob's home. We know that... There's children from three different women, right? There's Rachel's uh, children, there's Leah's children, and uh, there's then Bilhah and Zilpah's children. So I guess it's four Mm. different uh, sets of kids. And we know that Jacob is showing preference for Rachel's children. Mm. And so we already know that this motif that has already occurred in the past with uh, in. (laughs) Isaac's family is now repeating itself in Jacob's family. And so Joseph, I think, has the opportunity of leveraging his position of privilege to empower his siblings. Instead, he has that irrepressible desire to flaunt Mm. our positions of privilege. And that, I think, comes with with being young and Mm. being inexperienced. So he
0: wants his brothers... To accept that he's more special than the rest of them, mm. and and he does this by showing them, well, it's not just Dad mm. who thinks this way; it's mm-hmm. God, right? Mm-hmm. God's giving me these dreams, so it's his way of almost compelling mm-hmm. them to to get in line with the fact mm-hmm. that he is someone special. Is that is that what that's, you're
1: saying? I think that's part of it. Yeah. And then and think about how that that story continues, mm-hmm. right? So we let's go to the second half of chapter thirty-seven. Yeah. Now the cattle his joseph's brothers are grazing cattle near shechem and you should remember shechem because of our yeah. uh, last week's conversation so now again they're in shechem grazing cattle and they see joseph coming and now he's he's not just coming with dreams he's coming with a coat mm-hmm. and so they see the coat another palpable example of his of his father's preference and they decide to kill him mm-hmm. now reuben who also is trying to regain his father's favor because of a just bad thing that he has done, uh, decides to hide him and put him in the pit and then release him. him. And so this plan is concocted. Reuben is trying to regain his father's uh, blessing. Uh, Joseph is flaunting his position of privilege. The other brothers, primarily Judah, are feeling disenfranchised and so uh, they put them in the pit and then again food right the power Mm -hmm. of the table and who you invite to the table that motif of food that began with grain Mm -hmm. appears again as they are sitting together outside of the pit eating a meal
0: oh yeah I mean it's, it's such an interesting dynamic here there's just so many different things that are happening this mention of Shechem like you you brought up it's it's fascinating that they went to Shechem all the way from Hebron, which was um, 50 miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a long distance for them to travel, to go back to the site of a place where they had murdered all these men. I'm not sure what dynamics had changed there, but they initially start at Shechem, they move to Dothan, and then, you know, Joseph makes that journey from Shechem to Dothan and then, and then gets there and he's placed in the cistern. And I love the imagery. Um, it's not it's not a good imagery for Joseph but it's it is a powerful imagery of him being put in an empty cistern mm-hmm. like you talked about right and it really emphasizes the fact that this cistern is empty right it's empty and it has no water so mm-hmm. it says the same thing twice right the cistern that normally stores water it's empty and has no water they could have just ended with empty but they emphasize that it's like the writer is trying to make a point here he wants them to know us to know that this that this man of privilege has now that privilege has been taken away, and he's placed into this empty cistern, this dark cistern, where he has no access to food or water. And now the the brothers are the ones with the power and the privilege. Mm. All of a sudden,
1: and the word for cistern in the for cistern in the Hebrew is the same word. This idea of a pit. It's mm-hmm. the same word that the author will use to describe the jail or the mm-hmm. dungeon in which in which Joseph will go. And the, the motif of the empty cistern, the cistern, the pit lacking water. Yeah. And the interesting, I guess, connections that the author is trying to make between the cupbearer mm. and his ultimate destiny and this idea of drink. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot there uh, that we might uh, choose to, to unpack in, in a bit. So he gets sold and he's in Egypt now. Uh, Chapter 39, he goes to Potiphar's house, Joey, and again, the idea of bread and food appears, um, and the idea of bread and food connected to to this notion of power and privilege. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look at verse 4, it says, Joseph, speaking of Potiphar, this is chapter 39, Mm -hmm. found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything uh, he owned, and so much so, uh, Scripture is going to continue telling us that... Potiphar doesn't worry, has no worries. Mm. All the only thing that Potiphar is going to concern himself if you jump all the way down to verse six is Potiphar did not concern himself with anything Mm. except the the food or the bread he ate. Mm. And so you have kind of this story that we've we've just left Joseph uh, being. Stripped, I think, as you've said, of all his privilege and his brothers eating cold-bloodedly without any concern, uh, having this meal. And now in uh, chapter 39, you have Potiphar kind of leaving Joseph in charge of everything. And the ultimate... Uh, power and privilege that is expressed by the captain of the guard is that he has no worries other than the food he eats. Mm -hmm. And yet, in again, in this position of paradise regained or paradise restored, Mm -hmm. the threat of being stripped, again, of these things that give you security and certainty is present, and it's latent. It's latent in and embodied in uh, Potiphar's wife and mm. what will happen next in the story. So here you have this this idea of bread and security, this thing that we need to eat mm. and to live. And you have that linked with privilege. And you have this idea of power and privilege being given and stripped very easily to this one man. And I think that's, that's why this story has captured the idea of not just faithful believers but people in the broader culture as well because it speaks to how tenuous our grip on privilege mm. and position is and this is simply to say that somehow some way we need to make sure that we are constructing a walk with Christ that allows us to weather the moments and the times when privilege is stripped and we're placed in the pit, whether it's by people that we trust or by our employers or by uh, the situation and the circumstances. The pit and the, the move from privilege to pit is always latent and present.
0: Wow, wow. The movement from privilege to pit is always latent and present. That's so true. Like the whole story is a back and forth between him moving between prosperity and the pit, prosperity and poverty, right? He's constantly moving back and forth. Um, but what I find so fascinating about this is that it is not the food that leads him back to prosperity, mm-hmm. right? It's God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems to be very clear in the mind of the writer, um, this, this chapter that you talked about. Verse 2 of chapter 39 The Lord was with Joseph Mm -hmm. so that he prospered. Mm -hmm. So at every turning point, when he hits the pit of doom, it is the Lord's presence. The Lord Mm -hmm. was with Joseph and then his fortunes turn. Mm -hmm. He gets thrown later on. We're going to see he gets thrown into into the the prison and the Lord is with Joseph Mm -hmm. and he prospers. And we see that theme over and over again. So my question is, of course, it makes sense that, our, our privilege, our, our sense of security needs to come from the Lord. But I wonder, do we also need the pit in order to figure out that we need the Lord? I mean, we, we just talked about how Joseph, he came with this perspective that I am privileged and I'm going to use my privilege. And he didn't think that his privilege could ever be taken away from mm-hmm. him. He found out how quickly that can change. Is that was that experience what led him to depend on the Lord? So that in chapter thirty-nine, his perspective is very different
1: right. than in chapter thirty-seven. Do we need the pit? I don't think we need the pit. Mm. I, I think I think we can use the pit. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, and it seems like Joseph or God rather uses the pit in order to shape Joseph. Mm. But I think God's desire or God's hope is that Joseph realizes that privilege is not um, in things that are palpable, that security Mm. and safety are not in things that are concrete or material. You mentioned uh, this idea of privilege being stripped away. What is really interesting throughout this whole narrative, Joey, is, like we said, it is populated by food and grain and bread and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Except the only one who never talks about food is Joseph. Everybody else has issues. The brothers eat their bread. Potiphar doesn't concern himself with anything other than bread. The cupbearer and the, baker, the head baker, they'll have obviously their dreams that are relating to bread. And those dreams will be intimately connected with the two dreams that um, the Pharaoh would, will have in this idea of mm-hmm. grain and cattle. Joseph never is receives a dream about food or prosperity in that sense. Mm. Joseph merely is called to comment on the state of affairs that everybody else that is chasing food Is experiencing, and I think that's yeah. a really, really important takeaway for us Christians as we look at the world and we see people that are attempting to hang their privilege and their position and their power on a myriad of concrete and palpable things. Christians are called to engage the, in that as commentators, but to not participate in that, uh, in the sense that we don't believe that that is where privilege and power can be found.
0: Wow, that is so that is so insightful. That's so powerful. This idea that Joseph never engages in this battle of trying to get enough so that he can feel secure. Mm-hmm. That that is not his position. In fact, at times when more is offered to him like when Potiphar's wife mm-hmm. comes to him and offers him more, he actually actively runs away mm-hmm. from that because he knows that that's not where his security, his safety, his prosperity mm. lies. His prosperity lies in the Lord. Mm.
1: Wow. No, that's that's well said. That's well said. And I think when you realize that your prosperity lies in the Lord, then you start looking at life in a different way. And maybe, mm. just maybe you'll start looking at the mistakes you made in your youth <laughs> in a different way. So let's bring this full circle. Yeah. You've got the baker and the butler. Mm. They have their dreams. Joseph interprets uh, those dreams. Mm. and then uh, these these dreams ultimately lead to very two very different destinies. Uh, for both Baker and Butler, the butler is restored to his position of privilege. Again, with this idea of privilege, right? And the baker is put to death. And now, immediately on the heels of that, Pharaoh has two dreams. Mm. Isn't it interesting, Joey, that we've started the narrative all the way back in chapter 37 with two dreams that are dreamt Mm. by Joseph? And and these two dreams are going or at least hinting at Joseph's ultimate plan or the position that Joseph will have Mm -hmm. or the position that God wants Joseph to have. Now, after a couple experiences in the pit, Pharaoh is gonna have two dreams. And the purpose of those two dreams also is to provide a pathway for Joseph to engage in this in this plan or engage with this plan that God that God has for him. I wanna ask Joey if you see any differences between The Joseph that saw and asked for interpretation in his youth of these two dreams, this privileged boy, and now this man that emerges out of the pit. So look at uh, chapter 41. Mm. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Mm. Are there is there anything that that has changed and shifted in Joseph? Mm. And if so, might that bring us back to the question I think that you asked that was so insightful, do we need pits in our life?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely it looks like things have changed. He is no longer that cocky youth that is throwing out his his dream. And his dream was much easier to interpret than Pharaoh's dream, right? I mean, everybody, it was pretty clear what, what his dream was about. And and so he's not he's not reckless. He's not mm. reckless with it. He's not um he's not throwing you out there to gain his own position and his own power and establish his own privilege. Because here he could very well have taken the credit. Right. He could have. But he gives; he actively gives the credit to God, and said God is the one who can give. And I wonder how his experience with his brothers would have been different if he had taken this approach back then, that rather than the approach that he had had.
1: That's, I think, I think that is the question that that we want to linger over for a couple minutes here. You, I said, I think said something very interesting. You said he wasn't reckless. Mm with with his power. Mm. I think too often we, because we, we understand there's something intuitive within all human beings and we understand how tenuous our position is. Yeah. We understand that the path from privilege to pit is rather short and it's rather easy to fall. Mm. And so I think because of that, when we have power, we tend to use it in a way that is reckless. Mm. Either we weaponize it or we try to isolate ourselves or to insulate ourselves from the possibility of the pit. And we do so uh, sometimes by surrounding ourselves with people that will simply acquiesce to everything we say Mm. and agree with us in everything or people that can't speak truth to us. Uh, we try to limit our exposure. We try to to squash voices of dissent. These are these are tried and true methods mm-hmm. that just signify how, uh, whether it's governments or individuals, how reckless we are mm-hmm. when we utilize power. Wow. And the opposite to that is how open we are to give credit. When we're not being reckless, when we're being cautious with power, how open we are to give credit elsewhere, to put Mm. the credit of uh, these successes or our uh, our ability to problem solve, we're able to give credit elsewhere. And I think that teaches Mm. us a lot about the maturity of somebody that has been called to privilege, whether it's in the, whether it's, uh, with a full pantry or living in the pit, the person that is able to understand privilege always tries to share uh, the acclaims and uh, trying to, and tries to share uh, the success. Yeah, it's so true.
0: And, you know, being reckless with, the pow- with our power like you were talking about, that is so easy to recognize in others when we see others doing that. And instinctively, we know when we see that in someone else, we know that there's something about that that makes us uncomfortable. It seems like that's much harder to see in ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Because we often, I mean, we can always rationalize why it's okay to use our power to establish our privilege mm-hmm. because we I mean it's an innate desire to feel safe, right? That we have Abraham's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. one of that is safe one of those is safety and security. So it makes sense that we're going to try to do whatever we can to try to get safety and security, which is why that paradigm shift that you were alluding to earlier that comes from realizing that our security, our prosperity comes from the Lord is so big because if we really embrace that then we don't have to use our power mm. in abusive ways. We don't have to use our power to establish our own sense of safety and security. If the Lord is really going to protect us, if the Lord is going to move the movements forward that that we think are so important, then it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't behoove us to try to use our power in reckless ways mm. to do that. And we've seen that over and over in, in the book of Genesis, right, where people thought they were doing the work of God, where they were following God's will, moving where God wanted them to go, but using methods that were not God's methods mm. because they didn't trust God to step into mm. those spaces and fulfill his promises. And I, I'm guilty of this myself, where there's times where I believe in something so strongly that I find myself tempted or even sometimes practicing behaviors that are not God's way because I feel like I need to use my power to make that happen instead of trusting that God mm. will do it himself.
1: So I think that is the key, right? Trusting that God will do it himself. Mm. Joseph builds grain houses. Yeah. Not only does he have the capacity to share credit. He has the capability to see solutions where other people see problems. And his solution is rather simple. He says, hey, we need to build grain houses, we need to store grain, and then we will be able to save uh, Egypt and by proxy to save Israel. Mm. However, through the salvation of Egypt, And through Israel's desire to go and buy grain from the Egyptians, Mm. you also have the possibility of the enslavement of the Jewish people, which follows in Exodus. Actually, Joey, this idea of grain houses that Joseph built, the word there uh, for grain houses that Joseph Mm. built is the same word that later on will be used. Uh, When Pharaoh forces Israel to to build grain houses, Mm. and so this this connection, the same tool that is used to save both Egypt and Israel, is now used for the ultimate oppression of Israel. And so I I want us to to just linger over this for a moment because we often think about the methodology. We talk about the methodology a lot. What does power mean? What does privilege mean? How do we wield power in a responsible manner? What methods do we have in order to ensure that we're not becoming isolated, or that we're not just self-justifying when mm. we're weaponizing power. But I think, Joey, that the methodology isn't as important as what you just mentioned, which was, what is the principle behind the methodology, whatever it is that you've established? Um, and in, you've, you've just said, it's trust in the Lord. Mm. Because the same greenhouses that sometimes can, sh- can be sh- used to save wow. you can be used to enslave you.
0: That's so true. And it just goes to show that there is such a real fine line between how we use our power for good mm-hmm. and how we use our power to destroy, right? That that fine line. And really that line lies on our trust in God. And it seems to be the theme here is that God is able to even take the worst circumstances and make them good, right? Bring some good out of it. Mm. Um, I love the connection that happens in Judah and, and Tamar story mm-hmm. in chapter 38 and, and the, just the, the mirror images that we see in, in, in both the literary context and also the themes that run through that. It's almost as if the author is saying um, just like Joseph goes down to Egypt, Judah goes down away from his brothers mm-hmm. and they're following parallel tracks, one by choice, one by, 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 by force. Right. But, God is still able to bring some kind of redemption because you get even at the end of Judah's story, you get a sense of redemption because you know we ultimately find out that Tamar is going to be the 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 um, that through Tamar's line there was uh, we're going to have King David and then ultimately Jesus right so there is already that hint there um, in that story that God is working something good and ultimately find that. God is also working something in Judah's mm. heart because later on Judah is, is really a bridge towards reconciliation yeah. that happens within the brotherhood.
1: Yeah, he is, he is, I think, the one who acknowledges and accepts accountability mm. for the mistake that was made all those years ago. And I think what you're saying then is that these paths of, that, that are seeking redemption are moved because the primary principle that we are called to follow and observe when we're in a relationship with God is grace, always grace. And it's so interesting that I think you are most aware of grace. Back to that question, which I'm going to have to continue coming back to because I think. It's the very crux and fulcrum of our discussion today. Do we need those pits? Mm. Does mm. Judah understand grace without the Tamar experience? <laughs> Does that's Joseph true. know mm. what it is to not weaponize privilege and to show grace to siblings by invite the, by inviting them to eat? Um, and that's obviously where the where the story, at least with Joseph and his brothers comes to a climax, this separation and uh, the division between between them happens as they cast them out and Mm -hmm. they eat. The reconciliation will happen as he accepts them and serves a table Mm -hmm. for them. And so would Joseph have been able to do that without experiencing the pit? Mm. And then ultimately, Joey, does the... Lack of pit experiences after the famine, when Israel goes and settles in Egypt, does that contribute to their enslavement? We know at the beginning of the book of Exodus that a new family of rulers takes up the throne and becomes pharaohs, and they know nothing about the God of Joseph. Well maybe the reason they don't know nothing they know nothing about the god of Joseph is because there haven't been pit experiences for the descendants of Joseph as they've as they've been living in Egypt. So does Tamar help uh, Judah understand grace better? Mm. Does the pit help Joseph become more grace oriented and do the lack of pits Make Joseph's descendant more lax in sharing who the God of Grace is.
0: Wow, that's that's a good question. You know, it, going back to what you said earlier, I do think that God can use rock bottom experiences, mm. but I don't know if they're necessary, because the re- reality is, we all live in the pit. We just don't always realize it, mm. right? All of us have a desperate need for God. That's the reality that's being pressed here, Mm -hmm. that our privilege, no matter how privileged we are, that privilege can be taken away in an instant, right? Especially if we're depending on our own methods and our own palpable things like you were talking about. It It can disappear in an instant. It's only the Lord that gives us security. He is the only one that can actually guarantee that we are going to thrive right? So the, it's just being able to recognize the pit that we are mm-hmm. living in without having to hit rock bottom. And unfortunately, most of us have to learn the hard way. <laughs> but I do think that there are opportunities for us to learn that lesson without having to hit rock mm. bottom. And um, like Jesus said, um, um, you are blessed because you can touch and feel this experience, Blessed are those who can believe that without having to touch and feel. Um, So hopefully all of us can learn, learn, and realize that we are in a pit without having to hit rock bottom.
1: And yet we don't. (laughs) For some strange reason, we continue clinging Mm. to this old paradigm that seeks to preserve Mm. what we have. Mm. That's what's happening throughout the story, right? We want to preserve. Reuben wants to preserve his position as the firstborn, and Mm -hmm. so he comes up with this plan. Mm -hmm. Judah wants to preserve the influence over his siblings, and so he does what he does. Mm -hmm. Joseph wants to preserve this idea of not only his father's favored, but God's favored. Mm Pharaoh wants to preserve the lives of his subjects. And so he comes up, he concocts a plan. Mm-hmm. Potiphar wants to preserve his honor. Mm-hmm. And so he throws Joseph in the pit. The butler and the baker want to preserve their positions. Mm-hmm. And so they come desperate seeking for an interpretation. We all want to preserve something. Mm-hmm. But the problem is... God's power needs to move us beyond preservation. Mm -hmm. Think about how the story weaves forward, right? So they they go back and um, they find this goblet that is hidden in the grain. And so they're accused and it's it's just a a devastating story. But the way we get there is because they get hungry again. And as they get hungry they're asking for food and they're asking for permission to go back mm. and permission and Israel wants to preserve Benjamin mm. and so he is he's really waffling isn't he? Mm. Uh, he he is so traumatized by the experience of losing Joseph that he wants to preserve Benjamin. Mm. And he preserves Benjamin without learning how devastating playing favorites are to the other siblings. Yeah. He seeks to preserve them in spite of and by sacrificing everyone else. Mm-hmm. We want to preserve. How do we move from preservation to empowerment? Mm.
0: I think it comes back down to the thing that we've been saying over and over again here is that realizing that our prosperity, our safety, our security, our preservation, and our future lies not in these palpable things, but in trust in the Lord, Mm -hmm. right? That ultimately God is the one who... At every turning point here, whether it's in Joseph's story or in um, Judah's story or in Israel's story, the Lord's presence is what makes the difference, mm-hmm. is ultimately what makes it. It's, some people talk about, oh, Joseph worked hard. He made the best of the situation. But that really isn't the message oh, no. that's being shared here. It's, the writer is very clear that the message is the Lord was with Joseph yeah. and so he prospered and that's not to say that every time if we just cling to God we will prosper mm-hmm. financially or prosper, you know, materially. But it is saying that our best hope is with the Lord. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think and this is I think where the story really gives us a takeaway that we can apply to our daily life. You're right. The presence of the Lord does not guarantee us prosperity preservation, and trying to preserve what we have, that guarantees us prosperity. Mm. The presence of the Lord doesn't guarantee you prosperity. The presence of the Lord guarantees that you become aware that you are in a pit. Mm. Whether it's in a literal jail jail cell or whether it's in a mansion, Mm. the presence of the Lord allows you to realize Mm. that you are in a pit. And that's why I think the psalmist who speaks about pits probably more than anyone else in the witness of scripture talks about this realization that it is better to live one day in your presence, mm. just one day in your courts. And that is better and more preferable than a thousand days separated from you. Mm. And so I think We also would do well, Joey, to redefine our notion of what prosperity is. Prosperity has nothing to do with how much power we possess Mm. or how financially secure we are. Prosperity, Mm. at least as it pertains to God, has to do with our capacity to realize that we are in a pit and the only way out is Him.
0: Amen. Well said. Well said.
1: Joey, I feel like we need to pray after that. So mm-hmm. can you close us off in with a word of prayer?
0: Yes. Our good and gracious God, thank you so much for being a God who steps into the pits with us, to be with us, to help us to realize the true state of things. Sometimes we live unaware um, of the pits we live in because we decorate them nicely. We build big houses with nice rooms and fancy cars, we fill them with stuff and we think that we don't live in a pit without realizing that all we're doing is making a nicer pit and not realizing that the only way out of the pit is with you. So help us to trust you, depend on you, and not on our own resources, our own mindsets, our own power to get our own way.
1: This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, my friend, this week, we simply want to remind you that the path from pit to paradise is the power of Christ. May God bless you until we meet again.